0: Okay. Thank you for stepping into the four minutes of family. It really is starting to feel like family in here. Thank you so much for stepping into that. If that was really awkward, thanks for bearing with it. If you're still talking, that means you really enjoyed it. So either way, thanks for stepping into that. Um, Hey, as I was just Being a part of the corporate worship that we had an opportunity to do with Michael and team. Just want to say thank you guys for creating the space that you created. And I was just sensing the Lord had a message for a few people. As we think about running to our Father, I just wanted to remind us that oftentimes we grow tired of ourselves because we're back here again at the foot of the cross with the same issues or the same things. And this idea that we're singing about, about our loving Heavenly Father, and there's grace and mercy to be found. I took myself to Hebrews 4, 16, and it talks about, we have a high priest who's able to empathize with us in our weakness, and at his throne, you and I find grace and mercy. And so I just felt like there needed to be a message for a few people here in the room tonight, and it's a good blessing for all of us to be reminded that our Heavenly Father does not grow tired of us. We grow tired of ourselves. He, friends, does not grow tired of us. So let's continue to come to the foot of the cross and his throne of mercy and grace and know that he does not grow weary or tired of us. He loves us. He pursues us even when we loathe ourselves. Amen? So that's why we come in worship because our God is good. Hey, um, I'd like to start by reminding us that generosity leads to meaningful moments. Generosity leads to meaningful moments. Let me share a few stories from my life. I was just coming out of college. I was getting ready for campus ministry. I didn't have much money to my name. I owned a chair and a rice cooker because I came out of a fraternity house. I didn't even own any furniture other than my chair and my rice cooker. And I had to come up with a deposit for my first apartment. Remember that when you're leaving school or when you're trying to rent your first apartment and they're asking for the first month's rent and they're also asking for a deposit and you're looking at them like, you're insane because I don't have that much money? Well, I had a friend who said, hey, I've just left college, haven't found a home church yet, know you're starting in ministry, and just felt like the Lord was nudging me to say, hey, here's some money that I know would be helpful to you. And it was the amount of money that I needed for that deposit. See, generosity leads to meaningful moments. It always doesn't have to be so large. I had another friend in college that actually took my trash can, which was full of my dirty laundry, and he did my laundry and came back, and my laundry was folded and clean. Okay, this was a male in college, right? See, generosity, it leads to meaningful moments. That stuff happened, friends, like 25 years ago. College for me was a long time ago. I remember that. Why? Because generosity leads to meaningful moments. And what we're going to see here today is that God has been so generous with us that we've been blessed and that we have been brought together. And in his generosity toward us, he has created us to be a community and then he's brought us into relationship with himself. And as we continue our study in Acts this evening, we're going to see that God's community is living in this abundant generosity. And this generosity makes the community sticky. Now, when I say sticky, you think of eating s'mores and then your fingers when you're done. Right? And nobody likes that feeling. You're like, ugh. What I mean by sticky is this reality that when people come up to the community of God that is living for the gospel with great generosity, the community becomes sticky in the sense of I experience something that I want more of. I get a glimpse of it, I get a a look and a feel for God's community, and instead of leaning away, there's something about the generosity that makes me wanna lean in. When I've experienced God's community that's living in generosity, I want to stay with that community. Friends, that's what I mean by sticky. And as we continue our study in the book of Acts, and we look at the early church, what we see is this early church is crazy sticky. It says it right there in the Bible. Crazy sticky. It actually doesn't, but it gives you a picture of what it would look like to experience a community that you think, man, I want to be part of that. I know that in some way over the last several weeks as we've looked into Acts together, you've been thinking, dang, I want to go to church with them. I'd like to see that happen in my community, and the question is in front of us as we look into this very sticky community that people experience and say, I want Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus with you. The question that's in front of all of us this evening is, how sticky are we? Is Coastline a sticky community that we would live in such a way that people would come up and experience us and say, you know what, there's something there that God is doing. I'm experiencing the transcendent, the living God through his son Jesus Christ by the power of his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to continue to experience that. I want to lean in. I want to travel with them. I want to stay in this community and see what God has for me. So our goal for this evening is to really look at this very sticky community and try to pull out together what just made this thing work, and then think about our own lives and our own level of participation into building something together that when people come to Coastline or experience a member of Coastline out living in the community, out at work, out at school, out in the neighborhood, they think, man, there's something about that person. They're sticky. So with that, would you stand with me and let me read our five verses that we have for our time together. We're in Acts chapter 4. We're finishing up the last part of Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 32 through 37. Luke writes this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the example for us to dig into together this evening. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It has been such a challenge to me this week. And Lord, I simply ask that your word that you've promised will not return void. Lord, as we speak it, as we think on it together, as we chew on it, Lord, that you would continue to plant your Holy Spirit seeds in our minds and in our hearts. Father, that you would continue to speak into our very lives, that we would give you access and permission now, and that, Father, the things that we hear would come from you. That we would trust that you're at work, Father, would you come and work in us individually so that collectively, Father, we would learn what it means to make these meaningful moments, to become a church that's sticky, that people want to be a part of. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please take a seat. So we see here in verse 32 where I'm going to start, he says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, last week we looked at this reality that they were praying together in the midst of opposition, and I tried to lay out for you these four ideas that kept them united. This idea that they were united in the practice of prayer, they were united in their belief of a sovereign God, they were united in their purpose of speaking the word of God boldly, and then they were united in this passion to see others be saved. And this shouldn't surprise us that it begins here. This is the second description that Luke gives us about the feel, the relationships, the context of God's people, the believers in Jerusalem. And he begins in verse 32, and he tells them, look, they were, the believers were one in heart and one mind. He says they were united in harmony. And that shouldn't be a surprise, because this isn't the first summary statement that he's given us about the community. In chapter 1, verse 14, he says, look, they're all joined together in prayer. And then he tells us in chapter 2, verse 44, if you want to look with me in his other summary statement, he says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And the reminder that I gave you last week is, together for us in English is about proximity, But the language here in the Koine Greek, this idea of together, meant this idea of committed unity. That they were committed to Jesus and they were committed to one another. And that's why when he goes back to this summary statement that we have here in verse 32, he says, look, all the believers were one in heart and one mind. It's his way of saying, look, they brought their entire selves, the heart, the, the core of their identity, the nexus of their thought and will and emotion, and their mind. The Greek there is psyche. It's, it's more than just what we would think of as mind, it's the totality of the individual and the person. And so it's really Luke's way of saying, look, they brought their whole selves to this idea of being united around Christ and united around each other. And I think this, this is the reality that wherever we elevate Jesus Christ, you and I are going to find unity. Because whenever we make our first priority to elevate Jesus, all the other preferences that we have that we disagree over become less important and we rally around Jesus who becomes the center point of unity and harmony in this life of faith that they're enjoying together. Don't forget when Peter is giving his sermon, he says in chapter 4, verse 11, that Jesus has become the the cornerstone of this unity and harmony that the community is experiencing together. And so wherever we elevate Jesus, you see this unity of belief and this unity of relationship that they enjoyed. Now coming out of this unity... And harmony that was enjoyed by, I believe, the power of the Holy Spirit that they had experienced Christ together. As we look in verse 31, they had answered prayer. God had shown up. The room had shaken. And so they had this experience of Jesus and unity leads to kind of this heart change from this selfish way of living to this selfless way of living. And that's what he's getting at in the back half of that first verse. He says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Again, it was repeated in Acts 2, when he gave the summary statement about the community. He says that they are all together. And that they held everything in common. To hold everything in common is this idea that what I own and what I have belongs to more people than just me. It's a good word for us in our context today, where we're so prevalent to say, this is what I get, this is what I'm paid, this is what I possess, this is what belongs to me. And there's this heart change that takes place that they begin to realize that what I have does not just belong to me, but it is shared in the community of faith. See, there's a shift in their perspective and in their understanding of what they own, their possessions. Because of the grace that they've experienced in Jesus Christ, they've gone from this is mine to this is ours. And from this is mine to use to this is to be used to bless others. And this generosity, this sharing wasn't compulsory. It was freely given. Not because they must. It wasn't demanded. It's because they could. And see, I think as they went through this shift of how they see their possessions, they went through a value change or a value shift where people became more important than possessions, and others need over my own comfort. Now, that's really significant. To think about, you know what matters most in my life as I follow Jesus is people matter more than my possessions, and what I own doesn't just belong to me. It belongs to the good of the community of the followers of Jesus. Because God, in his grace, gave it. He freely gave it. I'm just a steward of it. It belongs to him. Remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he's saying there is that what you and I treasure, we value, and what you and I value, we pursue, and what you and I pursue, we worship, and what friends you and I worship, we give our lives to. And so you see this great shift that's taken place in the community as they've experienced Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit together. This shift away from caring about possessions to caring more about people. This shift that's taken place to say, this is mine, to say, no, this is ours, and I can use whatever I have to bless my brother and sister around me. See, this shouldn't surprise us because both of these summary statements that you see in 2.44 and chapter 4, verse 32 are in direct response to what we're told in Acts 2.4 and Acts 4.31 where the believers of God are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, God has been so generous to us. And that's where this whole thing starts. It wasn't mandated, it wasn't dictated. There's nowhere in scripture that it says, if you follow Jesus, you must. It's a natural response to God's graciousness and his generosity toward us. That he would send his only son to die on a cross, that we could celebrate that he's always gonna love us, that there's always forgiveness. That we could celebrate that Jesus would come and give his whole life on the cross for us to be forgiven. That we could celebrate that God would unite himself eternally and intimately with us through the Holy Spirit. See friends, God has been so abundantly generous to us. And that's why it's so important that we become people of the book and people of the word because you and I forget we live in a world that tries to create a rat race and says there's always more people that have more than you do. And it doesn't matter where you land on the possession pecking order, there's always somebody above you that seems like they work less hard than I do, yet they have more. And that tends to motivate us to say I want to get mine and I want to work for that. And there's this reality in Scripture that's trying to communicate to us. Ephesians 1, chapter 3 tells us. If you can put it up on the side screens for us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done what? Blessed us in the heavenly realms with, say this with me, with every, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything that you need for a life with God, he has bestowed upon you in his son. Friends, you are missing nothing. God has been so generous with us. The passage goes on. I don't have time, but Ephesians 1, if you know it well, it reminds us we are completely forgiven. We are completely redeemed, meaning that God has bought us back out of the debt that we were in because of our sin. And then it says we are eternally adopted as his sons and his daughters, and he has given us his spirit in case we're wondering, God, do you still love me? Do you care about me? Even though I've lived like garbage this week, he says, I've put my Holy Spirit in you as a deposit, guaranteeing that you are my son and that you are my daughter, he is abundantly generous to us friends we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that we need to live this life of faith with god and that's important because that's where this possessions and or this generosity with our possession comes from it comes from the generous work of god now if you've been wondering what in the world does garrick have under the blankets I know this one looks like Grogu, like this mini Yoda that I've got hiding over here. It's not. You're going to be wildly disappointed. But I wanted to give us kind of a visual of how I think you and I often live in Christ. Right? Do you guys know what this is? It's a hot dog. Do you know where it's from? No, this is much better than a Dodger dog. Costco. Yeah, way new. Yeah. Yeah. You and I will go there and get some grub together. There's a Costco hot dog. Does anybody know how much that thing costs? (laughs) Buck 50. A buck 50, you can get a hot dog and a drink. It was made for our high school students. Can I get an amen? In my day, Taco Bell was 59 cent for a taco. That was where the high schoolers went when they needed sustenance with no funds. Okay, so here we have a whole host of things that I love. Muffins, cookies, Hawaiian sweetbread. Does anybody else have these at Thanksgiving and not really care about turkey? You just shove as many of you can in, in your mouth, like as many as you can eat. Uh, Torrance Bakery, we've got some goods. Chick-fil-A, don't go there today. They're closed, just as an FYI. But love Chick-fil-A and barbecue chips, particularly the kettle kind. Here's why I put these two tables in front of us. Oftentimes, you and I are tempted to live at the table of scarcity. Jesus has only given me a Costco hot dog, and I don't really know if I want to share it with you. (laughs) Safi still doesn't want it. The good news is, Safi, God has given you more than this. And that's my point. But often we live like, I gotta hold, I I gotta hold on to this because it's all I got. And yet over here, We have this like abundant table of, there's enough to share and enough to give. I could pass around the plate of cookies, which I'd love to do, but we have a six o'clock service. So if you'd like some of the snacks, come at six and I'll hand them out. But there's this table of abundance. And scripture is always trying to remind us that don't live at the table of scarcity, live at the table where Jesus has, and God through the spirit and the word have been so generous to us. That we, like the early believers, could be so sold out for elevating Jesus in our life that we allow the things that we own to be used to bless others. That we hold it with open hands because of the way that God has blessed us. And you begin to see them do this. Look with me in verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. We're going to come back to that. Look with me. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money of the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And so you see this. They know the abundant blessing that they have in Jesus Christ, and it leads to this insane sacrificial giving. Some in their community would sell home and land. They would give for the sake of those in the community that didn't have. Again, it wasn't demanded, it wasn't dictated, but it was freely given, as it says there, as an outworking of God's grace in their life. They're people who understand that regardless of when I look at my possessions, I know that my table is abundant. It's not a table of scarcity. And so I can give and trust my heavenly father will take care of my needs. See, friends, this amazing generosity was not a mistake, and it was not a mandate. It was simply a response to the gracious outworking of God to his people in his son Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that they had been abundantly blessed in Christ, not only leads to this sacrificial giving, but it leads them to care for those in their community who are experiencing need. The scripture said those that are needy, the language there is those in high need, those who are extremely poor, those who are destitute. Friends, they live. this was subsistence living, for over 90% of the people that lived in this first century. It was daily bread just to survive. And the sacrificial giving and the generosity of God's people, that they would sell the possessions that they have and give to those in their community that had need, is in part how they saw the reality that Jesus Christ does transform lives that the community was and is and continues to be very sticky. See, this was something G- uh, God promised his people out of Deuteronomy 15.4. He had saved them out of Egypt and he said, I'm gonna take you into this land that's so rich and abundant that if you live generously, you won't have any needy people among you. And Moses is giving this final sermon and reminding them right before they go into this land that's you know, metaphorically flowing with milk and honey, it's rich and if you are generous with each other, you will have no needy brother or sister among you. And yet they couldn't fulfill it. They couldn't live with the Holy Spirit-empowered generosity that we see here in the early church and the believers in Jerusalem that lived with this abundant generosity. They live into it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it becomes a a reality, and they abundantly bless one another because they recognize that God has abundantly blessed me and if I give in this moment to you to meet your need, God is not going to forget about me. And as spectacular as this generous giving is, <laughs> what is more spectacular in this moment is the joining. And let me take a moment and just explain that. Remember when I was teaching out of Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost and I said, sometimes we get so caught up in the manifestations of the power of the Spirit, the wind and the tongues of fire and the foreign languages that they understood and knew that we forget that the real miracle of Pentecost was that God joins us intimately and eternally. The same thing is happening here. It's this sacrificial giving, this great generosity, and what's taking place as a result of it is that God's people are being joined together. See, in the Holy Spirit, God joins us, and God's desire is for his people to join together. Another way to say it would be this. In God's family, money will be used to destroy what money normally is used to create which is distance and boundaries. Distance and boundaries between the haves and the have-nots. Distance and boundaries between the needy and the comfortable. Within God's family, money will be used to unite people and close this distance. See, God's plan for caring for those in need is his people. Recognizing that they've been abundantly blessed in Jesus Christ. And so it would lead us to give of our own possessions to care for those that are in need and yet not forget that not only are we giving of our possessions, but we're giving ourselves. That we would be united together. Because those who struggle with need right now in their lives, yes, they need financial resources, but they also need relationship. And if you're in a place of abundance You also need relationship because God is trying to join us together. And money in the world is used to celebrate, not to celebrate, but to separate. And that's why you see a lack of resources in one area and abundance of resources in another. And God's saying, look, my plan is that we would take from what we have and live in such a generous way that we would begin to close the distance, climb over the barriers. See, friends, today's message is not just about give money and live generously. That's part of it. The other part is how do we walk in relationship with those who are experiencing need? Because the generosity of God not only brings resources to need, but it brings unity between those who have and those who do not have, those who are comfortable, and those who are uncomfortable. It's a relational connection. I love what one commentator, says, when we don't give and meet needs, we are not only hurting those in need, we are concealing from people the sight of a God who never withholds. See, when you and I begin to give and live generously and look and are aware of needs in our own community and right around us, we get this great opportunity to say, look, I'm going to give you a little picture of a God who withheld nothing because according to Ephesians 1-3, he has given me everything I need in Jesus Christ. Now, i got to be honest. Coastline is fairly brand new. We've been around a few months And we haven't figured out yet our strategy for how are we going to care for those who are experiencing need. We have a benevolence fund that we've used and will continue to grow and continue to to use to meet needs that are in this community. But we're starting to pray about what does it look like for us to be a community that not only lives generously, but looks to build relationship with those who are experiencing need. That we might do together what God has done for us in uniting us in relationship. Look with me back in chapter uh, 4, verse 33. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus out of this sacrificial giving that reveals that the Holy Spirit has done something in their community, God is continuing to give them great and powerful witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think that's in part because not only are they speaking boldly coming out of chapter four, verse 31, They pray it, God answers it, and so they're preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ and the power of the cross to forgive sins and to bring us into right relationship with God now and for eternity. But why their message is so powerful in part is because they're united as a community and then they are practicing what they're preaching. They're saying, I'm elevating Jesus in my life. So yeah, I can sell this possession and give to my brother or sister in need because my ultimate aim is not to possess more stuff. My ultimate aim is to know Jesus more intimately. And as they begin to both preach the word and live the word that they're preaching, God gives them this tremendous, powerful witness. They begin to make this invisible God so visible through their unity and their harmony and their generosity, both meeting real needs and uniting people that have been divided from each other. And if you'll allow me, let me draw your attention to some pattern that I see here. Notice that God works in them before he works through them. He's filled them with his Holy Spirit And they respond with this generosity of heart. They have this value shift that it's no longer about possessions, but it's about people. It's no longer about me using what I own, but I can now use it to bless a brother or a sister. They've gone through this uh, dynamic inward shift through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then God begins to work on them and you see this external movement of the gospel. And so I just wanted to remind us as I come in for a landing that for us to be a sticky community, it's going to take an awareness that we have this table of abundance in Jesus to begin to think about what has God blessed me with that I so desperately want to hold on to, and how do I need to live open-handed and begin to release to him and live in more of a generous spirit and have an eye toward those that are in need and recognize that God wants to use me to meet that need, that I might be part of his plan to make an invisible God visible. And as we lean into that individually, that I think collectively We follow what we see here in the early church, with the early church living in this generosity, creating meaningful moments, meeting real needs, and becoming what I would consider a sticky church and a sticky community. So I'm going to invite the worship team up, and I've got a last slide for us. And I just want to invite you. I've got three questions for you. You're not gonna have time to reflect on them all. I wanna ask you that you would read through them and that you would think about which one is for you this evening? As you are challenged by this sticky church out of Acts chapter four, living in this generosity and and living so sacrificially, how do you view your resources? Is it an abundant table or is it a table of scarcity? What would sacrificial giving look like in your life? They sold homes and they sold land and they brought it to those in need. What would that kind of generosity look like in your life? And then finally, am I concerned for those experiencing need? Let me pray. We're gonna give you a minute or two to reflect on these questions and then Michael's gonna, and team, are gonna lead us back into worship. Father, I thank you for the example of this early church. It wasn't mandated, it wasn't dictated. Father, it was a gracious response out of the movement of the Holy Spirit. This elevation of Jesus in their life that produced a desire to bless others. So Father, in this moment, as we think about our own lives, where do we need to learn from the example that has been set in front of us? Lord, come and help our minds and hearts reflect on the places that you want to do work. Fill our minds and heart with vision of new things that you want to do in us so that the community could be blessed through us. God, we invite you into this moment. Do the work that you want to do to help Coastline be a sticky church. In your name we pray. Amen.